You're listening to Tales from Campalua Study. Original horror stories to chill your bones. Hi, um, this is Brenny. Uh, we're back again. And instead of being outside uh, due to the storms, we are in the recreation center. We still have the fire going, so uh, we're gonna. So we finish. can still tell. Yeah, we can still. So tell we can still tell scary, scary stories, stories next to a fire. Because there's still, a fire. Still yeah. thing. We got a fire pit next to the. What does it matter? What's next to you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. They can't see. <laughs> Fireplace. I said fire pit. I can't talk. Well, it's fine. You can say whatever you want. Well, if it's a fire pit, that makes it sound like <laughs> we have a fire pit in the recreation room. In the room. recreation room. Well, okay. Be kind of cool. Oh, in last oh. week's news, uh, turns out we found Michaela. She was uh, she had locked herself in the bathroom by accident, but Roger, the camp director, he found her the next day, so it's not a big deal. She just missed what one meal? Or just one meal. It's just one. So. Well, no, because I counted her absent at lunch. So. And they weren't. She wasn't found till the next. But day. she could have eaten and then gone to the bed. We, Maybe. It doesn't matter. She's fine. Doesn't she's matter. fine she's now. She's fine. No harm. No, yes. no harm. Matter. No foul. And Brady, how was your nap last week? That was good. Are you Are you happy <laughs> to be back with us? Yes. Too bad Wes isn't here. Wes isn't here now. We traded one for the other. <laughs> Where'd he go? He went to the other camp. <laughs> the other, our competing camp. <laughs> he owns this camp. camp. He owns this camp. What is his problem? Maybe he's on business. Maybe his grandfather owns that other camp too. Maybe. Ridiculous. <laughs> he must be rich. Looks like he says. We didn't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I sure didn't. <laughs> I sure did. I still don't. <laughs> so, are we going to finish Burning Sage? Yes, we'll see what happens to... Well, Brady didn't Too bad Brady doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> so, this, last week we read Burning Sage Part 1, and this week we're going to um, complete the story. So you'll and hear the second part of the story. And Wes won't hear the last yeah, part Wes of the story. doesn't give a crap what happens. What happens to these poor people who are being haunted? Okay. So Wes! Wes is here! Hey! <laughs> Burning Sage, part two. <coughs> they arrive at Windy Chase Wood after 3 a.m. Jacqueline leaves the Lincoln parked off the side of the road, and the three soon-to-be arsonists march off into the forest. The night air is cool and breezy, the exact opposite of how Anthony feels. The clear weather only adds to his already nauseating feeling of deja vu. They find the shallow grave easily. The spot is burned into Anthony's brain along with the rest of the traumatizing event. Without saying a word, they all begin digging. The ground is soft and mushy. He glances nervously over his shoulder every few seconds, knowing they are at least a mile away from any road but still half expecting to see blue lights in his peripheral. Anthony hears a loud clunk and he stops shoveling. He has hit bone. He and Orlando excavate the grave, pulling out the decaying corpse. All that is left of Sage Winters is a muddy skeleton with a few pieces of rotting flesh clinging to it. Anthony and Orlando shudder and gag, while Jacqueline stands idly by, her arms crossed and her hips stuck out to one side. Was that a smile flash across her face? Anthony decides he must be seeing the things. Orlando wets the bones down, emptying the red container. Please tell me someone brought a lighter, he says, wiping sweat from his forehead. Jacqueline laughs and pulls out a zippo. With a flick of her wrist, she throws the flame onto the body. And they have a roaring fire. 
It takes several minutes for the bones to blacken and several more for them to begin to lose their shape. Orlando starts whacking them with his shovel to speed up the process. Finally, they are scooping together fragments and relighting the fire, using crumpled dead leaves as kindling. Wish we had some marshmallows, Declan says, dusting off her hands. A horn blares in the distance. Someone's seen us, Anthony thinks. Just then, two bright lights flood over them. Anthony, Jacqueline, and Orlando huddle together and shield their eyes. The lights dim, and a yellow Camaro emerges from the shadows. The engine roars, the tires spin, and the car charges towards them. Anthony turns to run, but trips and falls in the makeshift grave. He scrambles to his feet as the Camaro advances on him. I'm going to die, he thinks. It's all he can think. He can't see, he can't breathe. He just runs and runs. Survival is all that matters, and he can only hope that Jacqueline and Orlando make it out too. The car vanishes, and Anthony is alone in the dark forest. He leans against a tree to catch his breath, looking around frantically for any sign of movement. Anthony decides to himself, that was Sage's car. They call in a medium the next day, Saturday, and ask that she please come right away. Jacqueline tells her over the phone about last night, excluding the part where they had burned a corpse. She says she will get there as soon as she can. Anthony sits on the couch with his face in his hands. He fights the urge to just up and leave, hop in a cab and head back to Nashville. Hell, this is Jacqueline's problem, but he knows he can't. He's involved now, and no matter what happens, he is a part of this. Still, he can't help but be scared. What happened in the woods was not possible. Something supernatural is amidst, and Anthony can feel it, a constant evil lurking around every corner. He had never felt more relieved in his life than when he found Jacqueline and Orlando waiting by the Lincoln after last night's incident. Not because they were okay, though he would never admit it, but because he was no longer alone. The doorbell rings and Jacqueline jumps up to answer it. She returns moments later with a young brunette in a Guns N' Roses tee and faded jeans. Hello, my name is Azel Blackborn. I am the psychic medium from Savannah. Are you boys ready for a seance? She asks, winking at Anthony. She speaks with an accent half Australian, half Transylvanian. Anthony absentmindedly rolls his eyes. She just said she was from Savannah, he thinks. This kid isn't too bright. I'm definitely feeling some tension in the room, Hazel says, pulling her hair back with a scrunchie. She drops a drawstring bag she had thrown over her shoulder and pulls out a box with the word Ouija stretched across it. Let's get started. She points to Orlando. Draw the curtains and turn out the lights. She faces Jacqueline. We need four candles and a round table. So, Hazel, Anthony says as Jacqueline is setting up a fold-out table in the living room. What kind of psychic experience do you have? I took a class through the email, she answers, waving him off. Anthony grudgingly takes a seat between Jacqueline and Hazel. The Ouija board is at the center of the table, and they form a circle around it. Anthony almost forgets that it is daylight outside. The room is dimly lit by the candles, and Anthony can hardly see Orlando, who is sitting directly across from him. All four participants place two fingers on the planchette and follow Hazel's lead as she slides it around the board in circle four times. Spirits, Hazel yells, we invite you into our world. Commune with us and move among us. Nothing happens. Of course nothing happens, Anthony thinks. This is all a bunch of horseshit. Spirits, Hazel continues, we invite you to communicate with us. If you wish to speak, you may do so through me. Anthony shifts in his seat. This girl is a joke. She's just a punk with a witch board. He starts to remove his fingers when he feels the planchette move ever so slightly. Sorry, that was me, Orlando says. Anthony sighs and remembers the night before. The Camaro, the snake from his dream, Jacqueline levitating in her sleep, he decides to give Hazel a little more time, though part of him hopes this doesn't work at all. He'd always been taught never to tamper with the dead. Who knows what they are about to unleash upon themselves.
Orlando again breaks the silence. Maybe she's gone. It is not a she, Hazel snaps. I can feel his presence. What is your name, spirit? Anthony struggles to keep his hand in contact with the planchette as it jerks suddenly to the word no at the top of the board. Were you once human? She asks. Anthony watches as his fingers are led around the board and boomerang back to no. Hazel cackles loudly. Oh my god! We are actually communicating with the supernatural! <laughs> she seems way too happy for Anthony's liking, and in her excitement, she has lost her accent. Please, tell us your name! The table begins to shake beneath their hands, and while Hazel is smiling wider than ever, Jacqueline unhinges her jaw and emits that same shrill scream from the day before in the car. Anthony tries to remove his hand from the board, but can't. It's as if his fingers are superglued to the planchette. He is powerless as his arm is jerked around the board, first to the B, then the E, then L-I-A-L. Suddenly, the room feels as if it has dropped to zero degrees Fahrenheit. Hazel frowns, and Anthony fights desperately to free his hand. He turns to Jacqueline and is shocked to see, in the strobing firelight, ectoplasm surging from her mouth. He can feel the wind picking up around him, and he becomes panicked when he sees dust, dirt, and the papers from the room begin to fly around them like a twister. The candles flicker out, sending them into total darkness. Anthony struggles to keep his breath as he feels the pressure of the winds closing in on him. Then, Jacqueline's cry halts and is replaced by a deep, monotone voice. From where Jacqueline should have been sitting beside him, Anthony hears something croak, Belial. The wind stops, and Anthony is able to remove his fingers from the Ouija board. He still can't see a thing, but he hears heavy breathing all around him. The lights come on. Orlando stands next to the light switch, and Hazel and Jacqueline sit wide-eyed beside him. I have to go, Hazel says, gathering up the board and shoving it in her bag. No, wait, Orlando objects. We obviously need some help here. It's a demon. Not a ghost. A demon. I cannot help you. No, Orlando argues. It's the ghost of Sage Winters. We know who she is. Hazel walks halfway to the door and then turns around. Belial is one of the most powerful demons in hell. He is known for deceiving humans and impersonating their fears. And he would not be here if you did not deserve it. What is that supposed to mean? Anthony demands. Hazel's nostrils flare. For corruption thou hast made Belial, an angel of hostility. All his dominion is in darkness, and his purpose is to bring about wickedness and guilt. All the spirits that are associated with him are but angels of destruction. You are guilty of something, aren't you? Something you chose not to share with me? They stare at her silently. Hazel reaches the door and swings it open, allowing sunlight to flood in. Belial is a demon, but you created him with guilt. You all did. Please, Anthony starts, trying to decide if she is worth groveling. Isn't there anything you can do? Hazel glowers at him. There were five of you once. I'm not going to be here when there are only two. You are all sons of Belial now. Worthless. She slams the door behind her. Stupid Girl Scout doesn't know what she's talking about, Orlando says after a moment. I don't know, Anthony replies. She sounded pretty serious. Come on. She couldn't have been over what? Twelve? And did you hear that phony accent? Were you there for what just happened, Orlando? Did you see what I just saw? Would both of you just calm down, Jacqueline says. It's not that big of a deal. Anthony is astounded by her nonchalant attitude toward the situation. Jacqueline, Orlando, you both don't get it. The devil has come into our lives, and we are going to hell if we don't fix this. I didn't know you believed in hell, Anthony, Orlando says. I certainly believe in demons after today. 
and I believe in dying. There's nothing we can do, Jacqueline says. We have to turn ourselves in, Anthony declares thoughtfully. Belial is a demon of guilt. We need a clear conscience. It's the only way. You want me to go to prison for something that happened 20 years ago, Jacqueline demands. I'd rather kill myself. Let's just take a step back, Orlando suggests. Let's go to the reunion tonight. It's at the Midway Community Church. Hollowed ground. We'll be safe there, right? We'll get some perspective and talk this out when we get back. Anthony thinks this is the most logical thing he's heard Orlando say all weekend. He and Jacqueline agree, and Anthony retires to the couch. Jacqueline says she is going to take a shower before they leave. Orlando sits down beside Anthony. How could I let my life get so screwed up, Anthony wonders. It seemed like only yesterday he, Jamie, and Orlando were picking up their flowers from the florist and meeting the girls in town. Jepson had had on a shiny red dress, and Jacqueline wore her blue silk gown. Anthony loved his girlfriend very much, but no one could deny Jacqueline's beauty. She was always so kind, too. Her personality lit up a room, as well as her smile. In no way is she the same person she was in high school. Anthony can hardly believe how much she's changed. Thunder rolls outside the small house, and Anthony hears raindrops begin to ping against the tin roof. The bathroom door opens, and Anthony hears footsteps approaching. He looks up and sees Jacqueline, draped in a bath towel with a bloody razor in her hand and a shaved head. Cuts and patches of torn skin litter her scalp. Oh my god, what happened to you? Orlando asks. Jacqueline doesn't respond. She's staring past them, Anthony notices. She's staring into space, unmoving. Jacqueline, Anthony starts slowly. Why did you do that to yourself? I... I picked up this razor, she says, and I couldn't remember why. Come on, Anthony says, standing up. We need to take you to the hospital. No, Jacqueline says flatly. Orlando stands as well and yells, Jacqueline, you are bald. Orlando, Anthony interrupts. No, listen, this isn't you, Jacqueline. Just like Jepson and Jamie, you are being possessed to hurt yourself. We need to get you help, Anthony urges. No. Anthony turns to face Orlando. I'll go to the store and get a first aid kit, he says. You stay here and make sure she's all right. Anthony grabs Jacqueline's keys off the counter. He rushes out into the pouring rain and takes the Lincoln to the nearest convenience store. He quickly pays for a first aid kit and speeds back to Jacqueline's house. When he returns, however, he finds the front door standing wide open to a dark room and deep scratch marks carved into the wooden porch. Lightning flashes overhead, and butterflies invade Anthony's stomach. All his senses tell him to turn around, but he continues nonetheless. He crosses the threshold into the living room and shuts the door behind him. He flips up a light switch to find Orlando lying dead on the floor, face up in a puddle of red. He looks as though he's been attacked by a panther, his throat ripped out, his face mangled, his abdomen cut open. Anthony falls to his knees, allowing the stench of copper and urine to fill the air around him. God, Lando. A silhouette emerges from the back of the hall, and Anthony moves to his feet as quietly as he can. Jacqueline steps out of the shadows. She is naked and covered in blood. Her skin is pale yellow, her face is badly bruised, and her eyes, her dead eyes, are transfixed on him in a cold, demoralizing stare. Her cruel, unwavering expression tells Anthony that this is not Jacqueline. Not anymore. She sprints at him, unarmed, sporting a bloody grin. Anthony turns and runs for the kitchen. As Jacqueline rounds the corner, she leaps onto the wall, defying gravity, and begins crawling spider-like toward him with animalistic speed. Anthony reaches the kitchen, desperate to find a knife. He barely makes it to the first drawer when she pounces on him, tackling him to the floor. He rolls over and sends a right hook to her jaw, which she appears not to notice. She digs her nails into either side of his face and drags them down his cheeks. 
Anthony screams out in pain as he grabs Jacqueline by the throat with one hand and reaches helplessly for the top drawer with the other. Jacqueline foresees his plan and opens the drawer herself. She retrieves from it a small silver blade with a metallic handle. She twirls it between her fingers, eyeing Anthony playfully. Anthony lies powerlessly below her as she raises the knife above her head. He expects that now, his life will flash before his eyes. That's how it works, isn't it? When one's about to die. Anthony, however, only sees the irony of his life. He did something horrible, something that he should be punished for. But then he led a perfectly quiet life for 20 years. 20 years have gone by, and Anthony no longer even feels like the same person he was then. Yet now he is to pay the ultimate price for the thing his former self did. That doesn't seem fair to Anthony, but in a way, he knows it is. He cringes and awaits his fate. The power goes out with a burst of thunder and lightning. The house is dark once more. Anthony seizes the opportunity and scrambles away from the beast formerly known as Jacqueline Roberts. Bumping into everything he comes across, Anthony resorts to crawling in the direction he hopes is that of the front door. His hand lands in something warm and sticky. He reaches further and grasps Orlando's arm. The exit is just beyond here, Anthony remembers. Cold laughter breaks the silence, and Anthony suddenly feels like prey being stalked by a lioness. ergo says a voice unlike Jacqueline's. Anthony freezes in place. She is speaking in tongues now. He fears she can see him. Could she somehow have night vision? Anthony tries to make himself as small as possible as his eyes dart around the room. He sees nothing, but of course he wouldn't be able to see her even if she was two inches from his face. Suddenly, he feels warm breath on the back of his neck. He tenses up, but remains completely still. Still as a statue, he thinks. He knows this is a ridiculous thought. He doubts she can see movement, but before he can react differently, an arm is thrown around his neck, and the cold, sharp blade of the knife is pressed firmly against his throat. Ja Jacqueline! Anthony stammers. Jacqueline, please don't do this. This isn't you. You, you have to fight it. Anthony doesn't think this will work. He knows it's the most cliche and far-fetched solution there is. Anthony is not sure if even part of him believes his old friend Jacqueline could still exist. Nevertheless, he feels the knife retreat and is free to stand. Jacqueline? The electricity cuts back on, and Anthony's sight returns after a moment of adjustment. The light reveals the girl nestled into the corner of the room, sitting on the floor in the fetal position. Anthony observes her from across the room. She is no longer in his path to the door. He could leave right now. But something about her is keeping him there. He sees the kitchen knife lying on the couch. He picks it up and allows it to lead the way as he approaches her. Her face is buried in her arms, leaving only the top of her wounded bald head visible to him. Jacqueline. She lifts her head at the sound of his voice. He looks into her tear-filled eyes and Jacqueline comes back. She is herself again. Weeping, she extends her arms to him. Anthony keeps his distance, still grasping his weapon tightly. Hey, Jacqueline says in her trembling but normal voice. Apparently, noticing his apprehension, she lowers her arms. What happened, Anthony, is not your fault. You have to know that. Sage Winters is not your fault. It isn't your guilt to feel. But if you feel like you need to go to the police, then that's what you need to do. You were right. It's the only way. Anthony drops the knife and kneels down beside her. It's going to be okay now, Jacqueline. No. You have to kill me now. Belial is still inside me and I can't stay much longer. No, Anthony argues. You're going to be alright. We just need to call 911. Just kill me. Please kill me. My pleasure. With one swift movement, Jacqueline jabs her right thumb deep into her eye socket. Anthony screams and falls backward. Jacqueline yanks her thumb out, bringing with it the entire deformed eyeball. It dangles there for a moment against her cheek before the liquids start oozing out. Anthony covers his mouth to keep from vomiting as blood and pus and God knows what else pours from Jacqueline's skull. 
She falls face first onto the floor and then doesn't move anymore. Anthony stands up and takes deep breaths and focuses on slowing his heart rate. She's dead. The house is quiet. Belial is gone. But Anthony knows the demon will return for him in ten years' time. He looks over at Orlando. He thinks about Jepson and Jamie. He is going to finally make this right. He goes to the kitchen and grabs a beer from the refrigerator. One last drink before he turns himself in. The end. Excellent. That was really good. <laughs> Sorry. You liked it? Yeah. Yeah, I like that one too. Very interesting. <laughs> Kept me on my toes the whole time. You're, You're sitting, sitting down. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my toes too. That's talent right there. Yeah. Just sitting on her toes. Sitting, <laughs> <laughs> sitting on my toes. Out of excitement. What? So we should make that into a movie. Really? You think so? Sitting on your toes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the story. No, the story. We could. It had to be rated R. You guys. <laughs> There's some nudity in it. Should have hit me with the car. You want to be Sage Winters? I'll be Sage, yeah. You oh, okay, hit me with cool. the car. Okay. Making a movie. Uh, what? You don't want to hit. You don't want to hit Courtney with a car? Why are we hitting Courtney with a car? She asked us to. <laughs> I'll be Sage. <laughs> she wants to be Sage. Who do you want to be? In the movie? The movie that we're making of this story. Oh. <laughs> you said, oh. I'll be Orlando. Okay, Orlando. We're I won't be in the movie. Your names. <laughs> You're not going to be in the movie? I'll direct it. Hey, you Unless you want to direct it. You can direct it if you want. You can shave your head. I'm not shaving my head. We can make... No. We can make Sean. Yeah, Sean can be Jacqueline. Or, or no. Joby. want to... Be, be naked. <laughs> you don't want to be naked? No. Naked. You're She's never naked. naked. She said naked. Never naked. Yeah, She's naked's a completely naked. different <laughs> Well, we can we can edit it for the movie, make it PG-13. I don't want to shake my head either. Well, we can use bald cap. cap. All right. Jinx. <laughs> oh, what? Oh. <laughs> he didn't want to jinx. He didn't want to be jinxed. <laughs> jinx. Jinx is like, oh. Burning Sage was written by Justin Grayson and read by Nate. Join us next Friday at dusk for another campfire tale to keep you up at night. Send your story to Camp Alwisadoti. Why is everybody saying that? Alwisadoti. 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 Now, pretty say it until they're trying to. And we'll feature it in a future episode. Also, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Tales from Camp Alwisadoti. Yay! Yay! I finally said it right.